Have you ever dreamed of becoming an interior designer? You don't want to go back to university, you don't want to work for a large firm, but you just don't know how to get started. You want flexibility, you want to pursue your passion, and you want to make income. Well, you should definitely check out the Uploft Interior Design Academy. It's my proprietary program that I've used internally for years and have made available to the public. Not only do you get video modules that you can take at your own pace, but you also get one-on-one coaching sessions with me, group coaching sessions with our Facebook group of Academy students, and so much more. If you're interested, Get more information and sign up for an exploratory call with me at affordableinteriordesign.com slash academy. Once again, that's affordableinteriordesign.com slash academy. It's time to start living the life of your dreams. high-end designer or a lot of money to get a luxe look be your own interior designer this is affordable interior design the podcast here's your host betsy helmet i think i'd kick off today's episode by talking about a client that i'm currently working with in fact i met with them this morning and we were working on two spaces their master and their home gym and we came across some things that i thought it would be fun to share with you guys So when we were in the home gym, the wife said, I don't want this to look like a gym. You know, it is in our home. They lived in a split level. And when you walk in the space, if you look down, you'll see the gym down into the left. And if you look up into the right, you'll see the kitchen and the living room. So it is conspicuous. You can see it, even though it's not on the same level as you walk in. But when you have i mean i don't even know what these things were called there was a treadmill there was a weightlifting bench but there was also like that roboflex or sotoflex or something flex big and vertical and black metal when you have three huge things like that in a space that's 12 foot by 12 foot max It is what it is. It is a home gym. We're not going to put tarps over these things and make them disappear, right? They're going to be huge visual elements in the room. And what you want to do is you want to embrace that. Now, we don't want it to look like Crunch Fitness or Equinox. There are ways that we can make it homey, but we also don't want to be in denial. It's there. It's loud and proud. One thing that I think can help it feel homier is to put a low profile rug underneath these implements so that you're kind of tying the whole space together. You don't have these different circuit areas that feel so completely removed from each other, especially in such tight quarters. There's not much space between them. Uh, A low profile rug would be perfect. And the problem is that this guy was a really big sweater. 
He said when he works out, he really drips with sweat. And you might want to consider floor tiles, things that are really easy to swap out. If you go for a vinyl mat or even kind of a foamier mat, similar to those tiles that they use with infants when they're learning to walk, while that might be easy to wipe off, it is going to look like Equinox or, gosh forbid, Gymboree. I think it's worth springing a little bit, buying those floor tiles, and changing them out, uh, you know, when they get to smelling every six months to a year. I think if you have a Roomba regularly going and, you know, you could even carpet clean those, I think. But it really does, to me, feel imperative to have something underneath that breaks up all that black metal on top of just wood flooring that feels so cold. The other way that you could warm it up is you could do drapes, but they had these tiny, somewhat transom like windows and if you did drapes it would look like chandelier earrings on a little tiny head that wouldn't be the way to go here but I also think you can really take advantage of the wall space in a home gym and put in art that you wouldn't find at the YMCA put in colorful art something to warm up the space visually something that doesn't say gym you don't want to put up any physiology posters or any inspiring sayings this could be the perfect place for some watercolors or just something that feels more home-like and infuses this space that's typically devoid of color with some color that being said i also told her you know she wanted some storage in this room not only for free weights but also for just some random books that they have lying around some board games and it could be fun to get one of those pax armoires with the mirrors so that you're really getting the functionality of a gym as well you can watch yourself when you're doing these positions can you tell i don't go to the gym i'm not exactly sure how to phrase this but a lot of people get a lot of use out of watching themselves and their form when they're working out and I think having that armoire type piece will be functional, but also again, kind of combine that home gym. So we're not just slapping mirrors up on the wall, which is what you might see at a gym gym, but you're doing it in a different way that also provides functionality, keeps it affordable, and also is a piece that you can remove easily because the next homeowner maybe won't want to use that space as a gym. And if you're thinking about resale, if you're forward thinking and you're thinking about how you want to show the space with a real estate agent well you want to be thinking about flexibility for this kind of bonus room so that people don't feel like it's been so gemmed out that I'm going to have to do a lot of work to transform its function I mentioned that we also did their master and then their master was very interesting because again they had these small high windows but on the only wall that could accommodate a king size bed there was one small window that was off to the side which really threw off the symmetry of the entire room. They had this huge king bed and this little awkward window that's like three and a half feet wide and two feet tall that's up there in the air and not allowing them to make beautiful symmetrical moments and there's a couple ways that you can think about this but my favorite thing to do when I'm designing is do process of elimination what are all the different ways that we could solve this problem 
We could board up the window, right? We could add a second window to the other side so that the windows themselves become symmetrical. And then we could play with that symmetry for the furniture pieces. We could add a very large curtain, right? That would go from floor to ceiling and side to side and completely make that window go away visually. We could just ignore the window, right? We could push all the bedroom furniture down so that it's kind of squished to one side of the window so that we can achieve that symmetry. There's so many ways that we could solve this problem. And as you're thinking of every different way you could solve the problem, you're eliminating the ones that don't appeal. They didn't want to board up the window, they get an amazing cross breeze. They didn't want to add a second window, too expensive. They didn't want to do the wall of drapes because it might get dusty, but also because they do open that drape quite a bit to get the cross breeze and it's going to look weird to have this crack in this wall of fabric. Uh, What we ultimately decided and what I think is a really practical way to look at most spaces is that You just want to leave well enough alone. When something is happening, just let it happen and design around it. The problem I had with the room is not that it's never going to look symmetrical because of this window. Instead, what I didn't like is it was meaning that on this big long wall, we kind of couldn't put other art because it was going to exacerbate the fact that there's this big awkward rectangle off to the side. If I put another big rectangle above their headboard, it's going to actually draw attention to that by being repetitive so I mentioned to them you know we could do some kind of artistic or sculptural moment that's a circle that doesn't compete or try and mimic that rectangle next to it or what we ultimately decided would be fun is to do removable wallpaper on the wall behind the bed that way we're getting a big visual pop that is not compromised by the window we can do color we can do pattern we can make it look really luxurious with the right choice of wallpaper and we haven't sacrificed style for the goofy window That's the direction we decided to go, but like I said, I never like to just hop to that first idea. I want to eliminate all the possibilities so that we know when they're putting up this wallpaper that yes, we have explored everything and this is the best option for our budget, our lifestyle, where we are now and the amount of work we want to do. All right, those are just a few snapshots from my client today in Westchester. And speaking of Westchester, I have had a email come in from Trisha. Trisha writes, Betsy, I purchased your book. I took your online classes and I love all your podcast ideas. I have a split level home in Westchester. I was just working on one of those. I wonder if you're in the same neighborhood. Well, as you may know, the kitchen, dining area, and living area can be quite small in these houses. We use a downstairs level as a family room, so the living room is entertaining or relaxing only. We just had a wall removed from the kitchen to the dining room, but I need ideas to redesign the kitchen and dining space, as I no longer want a formal dining room. I'm open to taking the wall between the kitchen and the living room to get an open plan, but I would love some ideas, please, Trisha. All right, Trisha, I was just in one of these, and actually they had taken down the wall between the living room and the kitchen. And the whole thing was open plan. And what you do with that in order to delineate the different spaces is you use rugs, 
a large rug in the living room that's at least partially under all the major pieces of seating. So that way you can really visually see where the living room ends and that dining area begins. You don't have to put a rug under the dining table because a rug under a dining table needs to be really big. It needs to be 30 to 36 inches bigger than the table on every side. That way when you pull out your chair, you're not half on, half off the rug. That way when you push it in, it doesn't bubble up, yada, yada, yada. But when you do that in these tight spaces, sometimes the living room rug and the dining room rug get so close together that it looks like wall-to-wall carpeting that just got sliced. So we don't want that look either. And I will caution you against just opening up walls to open them up because it does reduce functionality sometimes. It's hard to mount a TV. You want that parallel viewing. It's hard to arrange seating. Typically, people like to sit across from each other. Again, parallel viewing. This time, I'm not viewing a TV screen. I'm viewing a person's face. But when you eliminate these walls, everything becomes a walkway and that can create quite a challenge for bigger pieces of furniture so if you want to accommodate a lot of people having no walls can make it tricky to add in furniture it's fine if people are going to stand and mull about because everything is a walkway but it's more challenging if you want them to sit comfortably and it's really challenging if you don't have good overhead lighting because you don't want cords from lamps to be strung out all over the floor those almost need to hug a wall so that they don't become safety hazards because very few of us have in-floor outlets and even when we do there's a cord there that can be tripped over these are all things to think about before you take down a wall so i highly suggest that you create a floor plan with the wall up and then create a floor plan with the wall down and see what the options are. See if it really gives you more than it takes away. So often I find that having some of these walls really helps to make a room work. And now it's time for a quick commercial break. Are you a fan of this podcast? Do you wish there was even more juicy content for you to sink your ears into? Well, there is. You can become a premium member of this podcast for $5.99 a month and get full access to an archive of over 50 bonus episodes. Additionally, we release a bonus episode every single month. That's a ton of extra content, including my personal interior design diaries, extra tips, my talking about trends, and so much more. Additionally, you'll be keeping us on the airwaves each and every week because your premium membership money goes directly back to making this podcast amazing. Check us out at affordableinteriordesign.com. Click on podcast to learn more and to become a premium member today. My next question is coming from Gani. I hope I'm saying that right. I remember she wrote in about her roof not so long ago. I'm just going to assume it's pronounced Gani and I'm going to dive right in. Hi, Betsy. You were such a help the last time I asked a question that I'm going to send you another one. Anything to do with interior design is a mystery to me. We are in the process of building a house. My style is modern farmhouse, or at least I'm trying to be. 
We will have exposed beams throughout the house and pine wood floors. We ordered windows with white frames and black hardware. My question for you is all this exposed wood, trim, doors, door frames, exposed beams, etc. What should we paint white and what should we leave wood colored? Our architect wants us to paint all of the exposed beams and all the trim with a whitewash inside and out. This would leave only the floor as a wood color and I am not a big fan of washes, but he doesn't think that any builder will put enough coats of white paint on anyway. I would like a more warm, cozy feeling and I do love wood. My gut feeling is to leave all of the exposed beams natural and baseboards also wood. The interior doors and door frames would be white. Outside we can paint everything white or not. Alright, so let me answer this first question before I get to your next two. A picture would be helpful, but I can speak theoretically. If you're going to paint the door frames, you should also paint the baseboards because that is like a line that your eye visually follows around. Uh, the baseboard touches the door frame. Oftentimes they are the same thickness. It really is kind of a maze that you're just following that continuous line and I would recommend that that be the same tone. Based on this email and without seeing pictures, even knowing your style, I'm thinking that the floor should be the wood tone and the beams should be the wood tone, but the doors and the door frames should be painted white. I think if you leave the doors, the door frames, the beams, and the floor all a wood tone, it will be really oppressive. That's my feeling. And I know that you really enjoy... Um, this farmhouse look but I think that the farmhouse look is a bit of a trend right now I do think that it's going to be a trend that's going to be hard to maintain for years and decades to come that's not to say that you shouldn't do this now but you should do it with an eye to being flexible later also the thing to think about with wood is once you paint it it's very hard to unpaint so you can't unring that bell without spending a lot of money I disagree with your architect that you can't find somebody who can paint that wood without seeing the grain. If you use the right primer, you most certainly can. Uh, but my concern is whitewash is a very trendy and something that unless you had a really, really specifically styled home that was only farmhouse, it's just going to be sticking out like a sore thumb. I think you should paint the trim and the doors and the door frames white and that is why. The next question is, Betsy, how do I know what color to choose for the floor? I was thinking of just tongue oil, but then the finish is matte. I could also use a varnish, but there's so many colors. I don't want the floors to age with that icky yellow orange that happens to pine. What would you suggest? So you sent me a link to the stains that you are thinking about, and it's really hard to choose a stain online. I don't recommend choosing your stain online. I don't recommend choosing your paint color online because you can't see it in person. And with wood, they absorb the stains very differently depending on the type of wood. Uh, I don't like super glossy floors, but I don't also like very matte floors. I think there is that sort of nice satin middle ground. But I cannot tell you what to do with these floors. What I would be thinking about is anything like a cherry type finish is going to read red and only get redder over time. I prefer the ashier type finishes of like a mid-tone walnut. 
You also want to avoid things like honey, right, that can have a warm sensibility, redwood. These colors lend themselves to orange. You will want to do some samples. I would also recommend looking at inspiration photos online. And I would recommend doing the beams in the same stain as the floors. All right, let's get to your last question. One last question, please, Betsy. Black light fixtures are really trendy. I went to a lighting store and the designer there suggested a black finish for all the technical lighting. The only fixtures with any color are two wall sconces in the living room, a pendant lamp above our dining table, and one decorative light in the family room, which is open to the living room. I wanted a white finish. I'm afraid that all black will go out of style and look dated quickly. What's your take on black? I actually think white is going to be faster to go out of style with a light fixture. I also think that white does not lend itself to your modern farmhouse in terms of light fixtures because it's kind of a white metal, which is typically slightly more modern, contemporary, no farmhouse included, or it is very mid-century. The thing about farmhouse is that it's rustic elements in their natural state, whether that is um, seeing the grain in the wood floors or whether it's using cow hides for pillows or rugs, getting these rustic qualities and this kind of natural black metal feels much more at home in that world than white metal, which feels much more contemporary and not at all natural. I would be leaning towards taking the um, designer's guidance and going with black, but also don't limit yourself. You know, you don't want to just be thinking about wood and metal. There's so many other textures to embrace. Think about fabric for a fixture. Think about glass for a fixture. To have the best feng shui and to look the most designerly, you want to incorporate lots of different textures and materials. Don't limit yourself to metal and wood. That's going to feel very heavy, very masculine. Let's add in some water by bringing in that glass or something with reflective qualities. Let's do something soft like fabric that will also help to shake it up a little bit and cast a warmer glow. These are things I want you to think about as you're designing this beautiful space in Israel. And be sure to send us pictures, Ghani. I want to hear how everything works out. All right, let's get to my last question of the day. This one is from Mia. Mia writes, Betsy, I grew up in a late 1920s adobe home in the West. It wasn't technically 20s. It did have some additions and renovations. My parents were the third owners after the original owner builder. It has a ton of character, a big yard, sectioned living areas inside the home. I recently got married and moved to a very cookie cutter home in the West, built in 2016. It has no backyard, no front yard, and it's about 1,700 square feet. I love the contrasting difference in both houses, yet I'm having a hard time with the lack of character and the separate living areas. My home is so good for our budget right now. I would love to hear some budget-friendly ideas to make the new home have more character and to maximize our three-bedroom budget-friendly home. Mia. Okay, Mia. I don't like that you started this email out comparing your new space to your old space. It's sort of like comparing your new partner to your old partner. I loved my old partner because he was so eclectic, so fun. He had so much going on. He made a lot of money and he was very athletic. Well, my new partner, 
he's kind of boring, but I really love him. What do I do? Ah, that's so bad. You need to fall in love with each person individually, and you need to not compare them to what you had before. Thinking about your past partner, Mia, is preventing you from falling in love with your current partner. And maybe you love your current partner because it's something you can afford, because it has the number of rooms that you need right now. Find reasons to fall in love with this space and stop thinking about what was in the past. This is not your forever home. This sounds like it's going to be your starter home. So take it for what it is and instead of trying to infuse this space with personality in the architecture, why don't you think of infusing this home with personality and character through what you bring in, be it artwork or window treatments or rugs or pillows that way you can take these things that are filled with character and very special to you to your next space one that's a little bit bigger and that way you can fully enjoy living in this space without changing the integrity of this home because if you try and make it feel like your last home if you add in moldings if you make the windowsills chunkier, if you do these kind of architectural changes to a home that's a very different style, it's going to look a little Frankenstein, right? It's going to look like it doesn't go. It's going to look like you're trying to make this house into something that it isn't. And it's actually going to be an, be an, be an impediment because people are going to walk in and they're going to say, well, I liked the style of the exterior, but I'm walking inside and it's like this house has an identity crisis. And it sounds like you might be having a little bit of an identity crisis, Mia. Take this to heart and think about ways that you can love the objects that are in your home without feeling the need to love every nook and cranny of your home. Guys, there we go. There's a lesson for you for this end of summer. Go snuggle up with your partner. Tell them something that you love about them that has absolutely nothing to do with any previous partners. Love the one you're with. That's what I always say. And until next time, bye everybody. You've asked for it and we have answered the call. For years you've been saying, Betsy, you're talking about all these great design concepts, but we can't visualize them. You're describing the picture that the listener sent in of their problem, and we wish we could see that picture too. After all, a picture is worth a thousand words, and I do my best to describe them, but there's nothing like seeing it for yourself. And that's why Affordable Interior Design, the podcast, now has a YouTube channel. Not only do we have a YouTube channel where you could see recordings and clips of these podcast episodes, we also have an Instagram, a Facebook, and so many other exciting things. You should check it out. Head over to affordableinteriordesign.com slash links. Once again, affordableinteriordesign.com slash L-I-N-K-S links. And when you go there, you will see links to our YouTube page, our Instagram page, our Facebook page, and more. Please check it out, follow and subscribe so you can see everything I'm talking about. A big thank you to our amazing producer, Catherine Heller, 
to Aton and the MBCR House Band, and to Affordable Interior Design, the sponsor of this podcast and the premier place to get an amazing look on a budget. Check out affordableinteriordesign.com. If you guys love the show, the very best way to support us is by spreading the word. Tell your friends or write us an awesome review on iTunes. So until next week, guys, thanks so much for joining us, and I'll talk to you soon. Bye.